Hello, everyone. Welcome to Measuring the Score podcast, the podcast where we offer our opinions on film scores and the films they're inspired by. I'm Chris. And I'm Leslie. Let's get started. Hey everyone, welcome to a very special bonus episode of Measuring the Score. I'm Chris. And I'm Leslie. And this was a completely unplanned episode. It was a surprise. Complete surprise episode. We were actually sitting in the car and we were like, you know what, let's do a surprise episode. So we decided to do it on, well, you know what, instead of naming the movie, how about I just do something like this? Welcome to Jurassic Park. <laughs> I was so hoping you'd say that with a straight face. <laughs> I couldn't. And you didn't. <laughs> well, we were we were going to wait about playing clips uh, until season two. And with this score... This very mediocre score by this mediocre composer. I mean, it's, I mean, I, I don't know. I mean, who is this guy? This John Williams guy. Who, I'm, have you heard of him before? I think he was the one that did that movie about the archaeologist that hates snakes. Oh, that uh, Montana Jones movie? Yeah. <laughs> 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 No, no. I, of course, we're talking about Jurassic Park, and, and the score is... Montana Jones. I just got it. I'm sorry, Chris. I'm slow. Indiana, Montana. They're states. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, Alabama Smith, you know, they went there. Jeez. <laughs> Detroit Jones. That was another one. Miami Johnson. <laughs> no, those are cities. Indiana yeah. is a state. Okay, okay, okay. okay. Anyway. <laughs> Today we're going to be talking about Jurassic Park. Now, the score is, I mean, of course, it's John Williams, so of course it's already iconic. It was iconic when it came out. I mean, as you just heard the theme, which was, you know, like I said, new for us, decided to start playing at least 10 seconds of music now. Well, you know, John Williams is the master, in my opinion, of motif, and more than likely, if John Williams wrote it, it's in your memory bank somewhere. Exactly. I mean, 90% of the time, if you remember a theme, chances are it's John Williams. I mean, and we, we talked about this with our Jaws episode. It's whenever John Williams is involved, if it's Spielberg and Williams, you can already bet that the score is going to work. It's going to be a solid score. Exactly. It is. It is going to be a solid score. And Jurassic Park is no exception. Now, the one thing about this score, listening to it on its own, now I've listened to it before, I listened to the Lost World score more than I did this one. I think I've listened to it once by itself before this exercise here, and I really didn't really pay attention to it until now. The score sounds very magical. I don't know if you got that. I did. It, it feels like uh, it's got this sense of wonder about it. Um, when I tried to read, now, mind you, I was in the eighth grade when this movie came out. So it was big when it came out to start with, especially for us younger people. But then, you know, I was also in the band. And being in the band, you know, we had to play it for like that. that I remember, I think it was our summer concert. We played clips from John Williams and Jurassic Park was <laughs> in that you know, ensemble. But right. uh, when I started to do some research about it, it said that the his composition process for the movie was done at Skywalker Ranch in that he got his inspiration for the score from Gary Rydstrom's work with the dinosaur sounds. Really? Yes. Nice. So I think that's why, you know, John Williams wanted to equate, okay, got these magical dinosaur creatures. You wanted to get that that sense of wonder feel. And I think it translated when he was writing the music. And yeah. And you know, you can definitely tell it. I mean, cause th that was the one thing 
uh, I said from the beginning that, you know, it was magical. And I remember you telling me, you know, sense of wonderment and, and magic. Now, there, there's the score has so many different ranges. It really does. You, uh, yeah, it's got these levels that... You've got the wonderment, you've got the magic, but then you also have a lot of horror elements in there, or, or terror field. I would say more thriller. To me, they're like thriller, yeah, more, not more too th- horror. It's not more horror, but it's more thriller-esque. Because, you know, if you've seen the film, of course, the dinosaurs are made bad things are going to happen and you know unfortunately people do die in the film and it it is very thrilling with what's happening there are some moments in this film that's like oh god like you know samuel jackson's arm is you know bitten off and it's there and everything else and but it was just you know the the score it i I don't know it's it's hard to put in the words well you know so when i started listening to score uh, the first piece that they played, of course, was the theme to Jurassic Park. So let's talk about the theme real briefly. You know, you just played an excerpt from it, but it starts off with those beautiful French horns. Right. It's got this beautiful, lovely French horn uh, sound to it, and then all of a sudden it starts to pick up with the other woodwinds, and then right. it just it just builds and builds and builds, and then it hits to a point where it's just, it's really memorable it, with it, all that layers. It is. As it, as it starts to build. And then as the score progressed, I noticed it kind of reminded me, there are elements there that reminded me of Indiana Jones. You had this adventure sound. Um, you know, Indiana Jones, you have the Raiders March. And the Raiders March, it's all about... Are you about to sneeze? <laughs> no, I, uh, no. <laughs> Sorry, guys. It looked like he was about to sneeze. <laughs> No, I, I was trying to hold back a yawn. Oh, okay. Because I see this mountain. It, it, like, it's not what sneeze? you're saying is boring. It's just I'm like super tired while oh, we're recording so this. Oh, you're going to yawn I, at me, I see. Yeah, that's exactly what it was. It was what you're saying was just like, ugh. No. We're talking, it's because we're talking about John Williams. I'm so, I'm so bored with it already. <laughs> you're so wrong. <laughs> anyway, back to what I was saying. Yeah, sorry. Uh, it's got this Indiana Jones adventure feel. And, you know, Indiana Jones, of course, takes place in the jungle. He's an archaeologist. He's looking for these treasures. Right. Um, you can honestly feel that adventure type of uh, energy uh, in, in the music. Yeah, you can. You really you really can. And, I mean, and, again, it goes back to the, you know, the the collaboration between Spielberg and Williams. And time and time again, you've got those two together, you're going to have a thrilling score. Now, of course, you're going to have some moments that it's going to sound like one of their other scores. Yeah. And then, you know, as I was listening, you could start hearing that thrill, that, that thriller sound that we were just talking about. So, I mean, I three distinct uh, feels that right. I got immediately when I started listening to score were those three. That sense of wonderment. And then you had that um, thrilling uh, adventure. Uh, feeling to it and then all of a sudden you had all of this um this you know thriller scary you know right. ambient frightening music now it starts off with that thrilling kind of frightening music too like with the with these you know you get the the drums it's just like and then you got the choir coming in very slowly and, and creepy sounding and it's playing over the opening title tracks you know you got the universal pictures presents you know an amblin entertainment production or whatever and you know and he he's playing off that and then when you when it says the title track jurassic park you don't get the theme you get this either a pan flute or an alto flute coming in there you know the the, the you know woodwinds. The, the woodwinds that you normally would get for like a jungle scenario now as the score kept going there were a couple of moments in there i was like the the one track that really stood out to me, and I'm gonna play like a clip, a quick clip from it. It's called a Hatching Baby Raptor." Oh, I really liked that one because uh, it 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 had it, it had the wonderment, but it also had a sense of dread and a sense of like something's off. Oh yes, I was just listening to this piece. Right. Kind of put me in mind of Back to the Future. A little bit, a little bit. <laughs> it really did. 
And I, I thought it was cool. I, I thought I, I thought the way he did that, and it because it has, um, you know the the harp coming in there, and then it has the choir coming in there later on. I thought it was I thought it was really neat. I I, I liked it, but it didn't stand out. There were there are three pieces that actually stood out uh, to me. Um, that one I I remember it. I remember that it reminded me of Back to the Future, which I thought was maybe bizarre, but maybe it was because of his use of, it sounded that was either xylophone or bells. I, um, I didn't listen to it close enough to, I, I just know For that. For some it, reason it just stood out to me because it was like it, 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 the wonderment kind of was there, but it was, it was off. It was off key. It was off kilter just a little bit. The, the wonderment was kind of like, it was, it was like Dr. Grant was, was cause he was holding the baby Raptor in the scene. It was like he was, Happy to have this, but he's also afraid at the same time. And the music reflected that. Now, John Williams scores, everybody, if you listen to film scores, or if you don't, if you, you know, think of John Williams, you think of big orchestral, you know, 100% orchestral music. And it's always big and it's swell. You know, it's old school. It's, it's all orchestra. Then we get to a track called Dennis Stills the Embryo. Yes, this is the one that I have written down in my notes that stood out. It completely blew me away because when it starts off, it's this percussion and it sounds like spy music. That's right. It's reminiscent of spy you music. You hear synthesized instruments in a John Williams score. I had to stop for a moment and was just like, wait, what? Not only that, is that in the middle, or I would say not in the middle, but maybe a quarter of the way in, or a little bit over a quarter, you've got this tribal jungle feel that comes in. Yeah, and the, you're the, like, how the, do you the, mix? The flu, the woodwinds come back. You got a, a spy sound that he has going on, and then he mixes it with this jungle motif, this jungle sound, and... I would not have been able to make it work. No. Would, it would sound like garbage. If I so we're going to play like a, a quick clip from this. That That is insane. You, you, you can hear the synthesized instruments and everything else. I mean, come on. I mean, that is just nuts. That is nuts that you hear that in a John Williams score. I, I thought that it, it was different. It was unique. It stuck out to me. And... I, I'm like, well, this is, this is, it's not ill placed. No, uh, it doesn't uh, throw the rest of the score off because you've got all these elements in the score. Uh, when you start to watch the movie, you know, the score makes better sense. Um, but I, I thought it was unique, and I like the fact that it was different. Yeah, and I love. <laughs> the more I listen to it, the more I really like that track, and I, I do remember it. It's standing out in the film to me. Uh, you know, throughout the years, even before I really started getting in the scores, because I remember when the when the flutes would come in, is right when he's grabbing the embryos off of um, this tower and he's sticking it into the Barbasol can. And I remember you see like the the different names of the dinosaurs, and that's when you hear the the flute come in and just like blasting. And I, it always stood out to me because I was like, it, it played right when he was grab, grabbing the embryos. I always thought that was pretty cool. So it I, stuck out. It stuck out for you since the beginning, since you watched. It really did, and then Jurassic it stuck Park. out even more because of the synthesized instrument, the digital instruments, and it, and it's not just the bass that was digital as well. It was like there was some synthesized horns in there, and I, I guess it's to signify. Now, keep in mind, this was really odd. We could not find a whole lot of research on this. I'm pretty sure there was something out there. We just couldn't find it. Um, it's an we, older movie. It's I, an older movie, but it it was it was well known enough and everything else. And it was to me, it was kind of odd that we couldn't find that much um, research about it. Not now we could find a lot of research about the film, but not the score itself. Not John Williams working on the score. But in in my opinion, I, I think the synthesize and the digital instruments was to signify Nedry, who is the computer the guy. tech guy. Yeah, he's and the he tech used guy. tech music. Yeah, so he used, you know, the, the tech music and everything else. 
And the, and the spy sounds because Nedry is sneaking around the building, stealing the embryos. Yeah, it's kind of Pink Panthery. You know, it reminds a me of bit. that. It reminds me of that 1950s, 60s era. You know, do, Man do, do, from do, Uncle do, do. or Pink Panther. You know that that. Yeah, cat burglary music. Right, That's what right. I would associate it with. Yeah. yeah, no, definitely. I didn't. I did not even think about that. But yeah, the cat burglar. That, that's, that's what it reminds because he was yeah. burglar. You know, burglarizing embryos. Right, right. That, I don't even know why I. I, didn't. I see now. If I was scoring a movie because the fellow was kind of big, I would have put a bassoon in there, and I would have just <laughs> made it not work. But but that's just me. <laughs> So, <laughs> pretty much. <laughs> Sorry, yes. I'm polka sorry. music. Really? <laughs> when did he become German? <laughs> uh, no, no, no. I mean, just you know, stereotypical. You know, big guys always got that. You know, type of music. I don't know. Bassoon <laughs> is one of those magical instruments. Always <laughs> make me think of bigger people. I don't know why. I don't know why. It's stereotypical. It really is. I'm a big person. So I think the, my my big, you know, bassoon would be probably my my <laughs> instrument. You are not big. Stop it. Whatever. <laughs> so the so, the next track that you you were talking about, there, you and I both were like, oh, that'd be kind of interesting to play. Uh, yeah. So the next track that uh, really stuck out in my mind, besides uh, Dennis Steele's "Embryo," was a tree for my bed. And when the music started to play. It sounded like a soft lullaby. It was beautiful. Put me in mind of a Brahms. But then he takes the main motif and he merges it with the lullaby. And it's beautiful. It really is. It, it is a wonderful, wonderful piece of music. And it's very delicate. Very, very delicate. I love it. It is. I would go to sleep to that. Now, unfortunately, I got to fade it before the because uh, we 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 try to not play too long of the music because we do we don't want to worry have to worry about copyrights right now. This is kind of a new territory for us playing the music while we're talking and everything else. So I'm trying to be mindful of how long we're playing it. But yeah, definitely. I mean, it like later on you hear the the main. Motif, it starts to come in. Right. And it still has that lullaby sound to it. And if I'm not mistaken, granted, we're going to talk about the, the movie, but if I'm not mistaken, uh, this this part here was for uh, when they were all sleeping in the tree. Yes. I think Grant it, to the children. Yeah, it was Grant and the children were up in the tree. They were, and they were, you know, disaster has already struck the park. They, they went through pure hell, basically. And you can look at their faces and it's like, you know, they're, they're, they're laying down. They're they're, you know, going to sleep for the night. So now, then the third piece that actually stuck out. Now, granted, you know, I listen to scores, and sometimes individual pieces don't stick out when I start listening to them. You know, because they all they all fit into with each other, and you know, they flow with the overall theme of the the score. But these three, you know, as we discuss them, they stuck out, and the last one was Remembering Petticoat Lane. And when I started to listen to that one, it was really haunting. It sounded nothing like John Williams, in my opinion. It, it sounded more like a, um, like a, uh, I'm trying to put words to it. Very mysterious, very, very um, melancholy type of piece. It also has a European feel to it as well. Because it it's for the scene where Hammond is talking about when he he came to America and he he was he he was a showmanship even back then when he came over and he had uh, these little animatronic um, uh, seesaws and you know it was, oh it was the flea circus it was the flea circus you know and he's he's telling the story of oh like the little kid like oh mommy I see the fleas can't you see the fleas and he's like oh they're all motorized of course you know there's there's no fleas he's a but it's the illusion you know the illusion of it and as he's talking about this you you hear it's sort of the same bells for you know uh for when the children are, and grant are laying down but it's it's played in a different type of way and it it's it, it it has a circusy feel to Got it. That music box kind of yeah, it has sound. a you know music box circusy type of feel. 
has a European feel to it, almost Harry Potter-ish before Harry Potter. Maybe he got some of his Harry Potter ideas from that piece. Maybe, maybe, maybe so, maybe so. But yeah, it reminded me of a music box almost. Very, very um, mysterious, haunting kind of melody. Right. I didn't quite remember that scene until I asked you, Chris, what is this? This sounds out of place. Because to me, it sounded out of place. It really did. No, no, I agree. And it stuck out. And of course, you've got the big, you know, action moments. Like high wire stunts. This is when the kid's about to get fried on an electric fence. And it, it, it works. It, it works having, you know, stuff like that in there. I mean, and that's what John Williams is, is really good at. And I mean... Of course, it's John Williams. He, <laughs> he can course, he, he, he can pull that off. If anybody can, it's John Williams. <laughs> I mean, there, I think there's only been like a handful of Spielberg films that John Williams has not scored. Now, we have covered one of them, but it was not on our podcast. Uh, Ready Player One, that was Alan Silvestri. And uh, I think The Color Purple was not John Williams. And uh, a Bridge of Spies that was Thomas Newman. Color which, Purple. Yep, I love that movie. Yeah, that was Spielberg. We had to read that book in course in high school, so I remember reading the book too. So of course, you know John Williams ends the entire thing with the bringing back the Jurassic Park theme. Main motif. Yeah, and, and it was it was a great send off. I, I really like what he did. I think, if I remember correctly, there are two motifs that he, that he plays around with. It's that one, and it's the sound uh, that you hear when they're in the helicopter going to the island, that motif. Those yeah. are the two that he plays around with a lot, and they intermingle in, uh, throughout the score. Uh, but they both have that adventure sound, overture-y, like, uh, right. you know, speed to it. Because, you know, anytime you play an overture, it's high energy. You right. hear all this high energy in there. And he, he maintains that, even with these, you know, three odd pieces we just talked about. He still maintains that energy uh, throughout the score, in my opinion, um, until the end. Right. So l- listening to it on its own, it, it, was, it was very enjoyable. I mean, now, the only thing, if I have to say anything negative about it, was the theme does come in a little too much. Now, this is, this is on the score itself. Now, we're not talking against the film. I liked how he, the tree for my bed sound. I like how he married that into that lullaby. Right. To me, that's amazing. I like that. Um, I felt like the score, granted it's, it's John Williams, but I felt like it was two John Williams in places, if that makes sense. Um, because you did hear those elements of Indiana Jones. You did hear those overtures. Especially closer to runs. the end. Of course, the flute runs. I'll be quiet about the flute. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, I'm not, I'm not saying that's a negative <laughs> thing, but it's a very John Williams trait. It is, and it just, I love John Williams, don't get me wrong, but I felt like it was kind of overbearing John Williams, if that it, makes sense. Definitely. Yeah, no, it, it does. And even though, like I was talking about the action pieces, you know, John Williams can do that and everything else. Some parts, it, listening to it, was a bit too much. It was like, well, okay, you could tone that down a little bit. A little over the top. But then again, it could have been what Spielberg wanted. Exactly. But I, again, we're talking about listening to the score itself. Now, transitioning into the film. So, the score was terrible. It did not work for the film. Just go ahead and end the episode right now. Don't listen to him. <laughs> uh, all right. So He's automatic- full of himself today, guys. <laughs> I don't know if he had sugar before we started recording. I had to redo... Uh, well, no, definitely not sugar because I just yawned. I mean, you caught me. <laughs> well, you could be coming off of a sugar crash for all I know. That could that <laughs> might actually be a possibility. So... Uh, no, well, I had to redo this intro like, what, three times? <laughs> because you were talking too fast. <laughs> See? Sugar crash. So the film starts up and it starts up with music. So the film actually starts off with music. There are a few things that I I wrote that I found about the film. Uh, Harrison Ford was initially offered the role of Dr. Grant. (laughs) What? Yes. I didn't know that. Yes, he was. He was (laughs) offered the role of Dr. Grant. I could not imagine Harrison Ford as Dr. Grant. 
I can't either. I mean, I now he could have. No, I don't. I don't know, man. I don't know if he could have pulled it off. Maybe. And in the Harrison Ford way, <laughs> giving those little smirk every so often. Yeah, that, you know. I don't. I can't. I, I can see Harrison Ford oh, possibly it, playing Doctor Grant, but I can't see him interacting with Jeff Goldblum. No, those two on film just—it's like polar opposites to me. I, it, it's Montana hard for me to jo- imagine Mo- Montana Jones. It would have been Montana <laughs> Jones because you know Doctor Grant. You know when you first see him, he is in Montana. So Montana Jones. I'll see, it just—it works. It works. <laughs> so the other thing I wanted to mention before we get into the the you know the movie is that each one of the dinosaur sounds, because we don't know what dinosaurs sound like. There's no way. I mean, we can look at their physiological structures when we dig up the the bones, but that still doesn't give us an idea of perhaps what they sounded like. Right. We, we might could guess, but um, when they sat down and started to work on the sounds of the dinosaurs, it was an amalgam of sounds. So, for example... I only have a few of these written down. But the TX roar, the T-Rex, TX. The TX roar. <laughs> that sounds like. It's a new Terminator, ladies and it gentlemen. It does. It sounds like T-X, a robot. <laughs> TX Rex. TX Rex. Anyway. <laughs> the T-Rex roars were a combination of a dog, a penguin, a tiger, an alligator, an elephant. Now, I remember back in the day when this movie was uh, before it come out. Oh, and it was after it came out. There was like a, because the movie was so big and everything else, there was a behind the scenes on Fox about it. And the sound design was talked about. And they, they talked about, I remember the elephant and I remember the lion. I did not know the penguin or the dog. I didn't know that yeah. now. Okay, so the Brachiosaurus was a combination of a whale and donkey. <laughs> <laughs> I almost spit my water out. I know you did. I'm sorry. <laughs> a whale and a donkey. A whale and a donkey. The raptor was a dolphin, a walrus, and geese. Now I knew about the dolphin, and you can you can kind of hear yeah, the dolphin, especially in there. when they make that that gurgly sound, as I put it. I don't know how else to say it. It, it sounds like a cross between the predator <laughs> and uh, yeah. I wonder if the predator is the dolphin. I don't know. <laughs> Sounds like a purring cat, Chris. <laughs> I can't do the predator. I can't do noises. This, so, is, this is why we're playing clips from the, the score now. The sounds were put onto a computer, then played through the keyboard. Yep. Which is, you know, somewhat what normal soundboard design does. Yeah. So, uh, I just wanted to say that before we start delving into the movie. No, and that was really <laughs> cool. I mean, because... You always wonder how they come up with those sounds and everything else. And for them to just basically. Now, the, the, uh, there was another dinosaur. You don't have it in, you know, the Dilophosaurus, the one that spits the venom. Now, they, I know they use a rattlesnake. Uh, that that kind of makes sense. If he's got venom, yeah, it's because he's got the, 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 the wing things that come out the side and shake. And, uh, I can't remember the, the noise. The other noise that they use for him, but I do, I do remember the the rattlesnake is one of them. I think you know I was as a kid I loved dinosaurs and um, I had dinosaur posters in my room. I had dinosaur figurines. I had you know uh, books on dinosaurs, and I remember listening to the sounds on Jurassic Park, and I just thought it was amazing that they were able to put sounds with these huge, magnificent beasts. Um, not knowing what they might have sounded like. Uh, and I think that is very creative, and it's nice. And and here's the thing. It was so creative what they did and how well it worked for for each animal. Because, I mean, looking at those animals on, on the film, you would think that's what they would sound like. You know, and they put some thought into it. You can tell they, they thought about it. It's not something that they just, okay... I think I'm going to mix this animal with that animal to make this animal. Right. You know. And, all right. So here. All right. So it's blended. It's it sounds. It works so well. It sounds with, natural. Is it, what I'm trying to say. Yeah. It wor- It sounds so natural, and it works so well for the film. There are other films out there that will have a T Rex in there, and they'll use a completely different sound. I'm like, nah, that's not what a T Rex sounds like. Can you imagine it? Just elephant noise. T Rex make elephant noise. <laughs> <laughs> 
That'd be funny. That would be funny. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, the opening of the score. Now, I'm sorry. I- I've got to say this. We're talking about the sound design. Now, it did win an, uh, an Oscar for best sound. Yeah. So, I mean, and. Ju- I remember reading that. I, I did not. I-, I knew that they they won uh, awards for this, but I didn't know it was uh, for best sound and sound effects editing. So. Just right there, just talking about it, just from watching the film, that tells you how well the sound design was for the film. And it was very, very creatively done. I would not have been able to meld some of those sounds. No. My dinosaurs would sound like dying ducks. (laughs) 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 What was that South Park episode? Was it the the dying giraffe sound? It wasn't. It was was a robot chicken, I think. No, no, it might have been South Park. I can't remember. I think it was Dying Giraffe. <laughs> anyway, we regress. Um, so, as Chris mentioned, the, the score s- started with the music. And then there was actually some dialogue. Reminded me of the old movies. Because, you know, old movies were dialogue-driven. You didn't hear much of score or um, soundtrack music in there. Uh, so there is a, a bit of time that goes by without the score, I noticed. And then it starts back up. Uh, if the score was in there, it was very, very little. Yeah. And it would be like a little, you know, 20 to 30 second track. And then it would just kind of fade off. And it was not overpowering either. No, it wasn't overpowering. And I noticed that after that, that gap at the very beginning, uh, that gap of time that went by, it picked back up just a little bit with Dr. Grant and Hammond when Hammond went to go see Dr. Grant. Yeah, in the Badlands. In the Badlands. And so it picked back up there, but briefly, as you just mentioned, it, it wasn't overpowering. It was there, and then it was dialogue. And then it goes into the helicopter scene, and then the, you know, the theme comes in, very big overture. Now, we were talking about listening to the score itself, how there were some moments where it kind of was a little overpowering. You don't have that watching the film no it was well blended with the film so as you watch the film uh you have the score which is not it nicely complements it doesn't stick out even in these bizarre pieces that we mentioned you know dennis steals the embryo a tree for my bed remembering petticute lane it worked it worked for the scene uh you know like dennis steals the embryo as we mentioned he was like cat burglar cat burglar ring Right. Can't talk today. No, no, I, I know what you're trying to say. But he was er, sneaking around. The music fit that. Right. Uh, the tree from my bed. It shows a kid sleeping. The music fit that. You know, and then he snuck in the original motif there. Right. And then remembering Petticoat Lane, you know, he was having a flashback of his past. You know, he was talking about growing up and coming to America. It fit the scene. Right. And it did not sound like a sore thumb. It, 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 it had a nice flow to it. Uh, and it was wonderfully... Uh, melded with the movie. Yeah, and, and it really was. And I, how how can I say this? It, it it didn't become background noise, and but it was stand out enough to where you noticed it. But it was not overpowering the movie to where that was the only thing you noticed. It it like you said, it melded together so well. It was complimentary. Is very complimentary to the film, and now. I guess that's just a testament to to Williams and Spielberg, and, you know, and their collaboration. Because at this point, they fine tuned their working, their their collaboration, and it shows with this film. It it really really does. It shows how well this composer knows how to score a film. I mean, because if anybody else had come along and scored it and everything else, it might not have worked as well as this. So, as always with the film, with, you know, each score we talk about, we have three criteria. Does it work for the film? Yes, I think it works quite well. Even uh, even those parts that sounded grandiose listening to them by themselves or to John Williamsy, it it worked. Um, it, like I said, it was blended. It didn't stick out. Uh, the scenes were complemented and balanced. Uh, even at the very end when you see Rex and Rex shows up. Uh, I think it sounded nice there. You know, you had all that, uh, the running around, you know, right. trying to get back to the the main camp, you know. It, the compound. And camp, it, compound. You were, you, were, you were right. 
whatever it's called. <laughs> the main visitor center. How about that one? <laughs> we'll just go technical. How about that? The kitchen with all of the ice cream. <laughs> How about that? Oh, that ice cream looked so good. Yeah. I liked it. I'm like, man, I want some ice cream now. <laughs> it looked like soft serve. Oh, Yeah, I after love... it kind of melted in the freezer, I yeah. suppose. Man. But anyway, I think it was complimentary. No, and, and so does it work for the film? In my opinion, yes, definitely. I mean, we, we just, we said why just a few minutes ago. I mean, it, it, it works, definitely. So what is, you know, the second criteria, favorite scene, favorite score? I, I'm going to go first on this one. It, it is, you know, Dennis selling the embryo. <laughs> for, for, the, for the reason I was, and not for the digital instruments, not because I was like so struck that I was like, oh my God, digital and a John Williams score. No, no, no. For the, the pan flute part that I talked about before where Nedry's stealing the embryos and the, the alto or the, the pan flute comes in, you're just like, it, it gives you that. sounds tribal. Yeah, almost. it sounds tribal and he's got the drums going and everything else. It was because of that moment. Now, it was that and the high wire stunts track that I played before because it was the building up that he did leading up to like this kid's fixing to get struck. <laughs> he's fixing to fry on that fence. And the music's steadily building to that moment, to that tension. If I recall, does like, oh he fly backwards? Yes. Because <laughs> he, he's counting to the uh, three. And he, when he gets to two, that's when he, the, the voltage hits him and he goes flying backwards. And then when he wakes up three, <laughs> I remember him flying backwards through the air. So what was your favorite scene, favorite score? My favorite scene and favorite score was a tree for my bed. And it was because, um, granted, the music was lovely. And I loved how he melded the lullaby with the, the motif. But um, I like that scene because, you know, throughout the whole movie, Dr. Grant has been against kids. He didn't want anything to do with the kids. He, you know, he, there was like no father-like figure, no. father bone in his body. He was more concerned with, you know, the dinosaurs. And he meets this kid that's got the same interest as him. And, you know, he knows a lot of stuff. It, to me, the kid kind of reminds me like he but has the kid was annoying syndrome him. or something. He didn't want to know? have nothing to do with him. Very intelligent kid, you know. Yeah. But he wanted nothing to do with him. He didn't even want to talk dinosaurs with him. And then all of a sudden, they get thrown together in this, this you know, uh, I, w- I would say it's obviously a catastrophe. They get, Definitely. <laughs> obviously. They get thrown together, and all of a sudden you start seeing the softer side of him. He learns how to open up. To the children. To the children. He and really I like does. that. And the kids learn to lean on him a little bit more because they need to. He's their protector, and right. he realizes that, okay, I have to protect these children. Right. And I, I like that. I, I thought it was um, uh, a nice uh, piece of his character development because you can see his character, you know, arc throughout the film and I, I think that was kind of a climactic moment for him. Sam, Sam Neill did a fantastic job in this film playing Dr. Grant. I, I cannot it, it, like when you said Harrison Ford was up for the part, I, I can't imagine Harrison Ford playing Dr. Grant because Sam Neill did such a wonderful job. I had no idea that the the man had an accent either because I've seen him in so many different films. <laughs> Uh, Memoirs of Invisible Man, uh, In the Mouth of Madness, which was a John Carpenter film, Jurassic Park, you know, and I was like, wow, you know, and then I saw him in something else and he had his natural accent. I'm like, what? Okay. I mean, now the last criteria that we have, could anything have been done different? That's hard for me to answer because it's such an iconic score. I'm I'm going to go with no. I I really don't think anything could have been done differently. Maybe a couple of tracks, something could have changed just a little bit. Overall, the score is pretty well perfect for the film. In I, my opinion. You know, yeah, it's still hard for me to answer. I really can't answer that one. Uh, I wouldn't have done anything different. But then again... I watched the movie when I was a kid. I was partial, you know, because we all liked dinosaurs growing up. Um, so now, I really can't answer that question. We, we, we tried to watch the film and not have nostalgia for it. We, Correct. And that was kind of difficult for me. It was kind of difficult. It really was. I mean, especially for me, because 
I watched this film so much, I actually wore the VHS out. And this one was difficult for me, and I do not know why, because when we did the Back to the Future episode, I figured Back to the Future would be a little bit As more we, difficult. We, we talk about a lot. Yeah, <laughs> and you know, and I always go back to that one, because I love Back to the Future series so much, and I thought that that would have been difficult, and I was able to turn that part of my mind off, but for this one, I really couldn't, and I don't know if it was because it was John Williams. Um, because I do have a respect for John Williams and his, his scores. Uh, I don't know if it's because, you know, it deals with dinosaurs, which I absolutely love. Right. You know, I, I don't know. I, I personally, like I said, wouldn't have done anything differently, but if I watched it with a different, uh, eyes, you know, possibly, possibly, I don't know. You know, as we said before, we felt like there's parts of the score that were a little too John Williams, a little too over the top. Uh, you know, I maybe some of those moments right there could have been toned down a little yeah, bit. They could have done, you know, but I can't a hundred percent answer that question. Now I remember when this film was announced, and my brother wanted to go watch it, and I had no idea what the movie was. I I did not know it was about dinosaurs. I couldn't even pronounce the name. I was like, jur, jur, rur, rur. I'm like, what? What is this movie about? Geriatric Park. Yeah, ger- geriatric <laughs> park. No, no, and it, it was like I. I <laughs> Couldn't understand. And then when the opening part happened and the, the raptor attacked the people, I turned to look at my brother really fast. I'm like, is this about dinosaurs? He goes, yes. Yes, it's about dinosaurs, Chris. I'm like, oh my God, it's going to be great. <laughs> and then when you see the brachiosaurus, I'm like, how did they do that? I mean, it was the greatest thing. And so I instantly, instantly became a fan of Jurassic Park. Well, you know, before Jurassic Park, you had Land of the Lost. Right. I loved watching that series. I loved watching Land of the Lost. And then there was a movie I remember where they stumbled upon woods or something that had dinosaurs in them. Something like that. Now, the movie was revolutionary because this is the one that really started the whole CGI era. And even for CGI, I felt like some of the effects still stand pretty good. They, do. they still uh, hold up. Now, there's a few of the, the motion scenes you can tell yeah. that was kind of bad uh, or has gotten worse over the years. But there were a few scenes where uh, it still looked amazing, unlike some of the scenes in The Mummy. <laughs> <laughs> wow. Because you know, I the, love the mummy, but not the effects. The effects have not aged well. No. Uh, some of the effects in this movie, in this movie, came out way before the mummy, and the effects have aged pretty good. Yeah, they have. They have. Now, of course, the film was so successful that it spawned an entire franchise. So then we got Lost World, Jurassic Park, which was St- Spielberg and John Williams again. Now. That was the score I was more familiar with. I do want to cover that score one day, so I don't want to talk about it too much. I'm, I, I really want to cover the whole franchise. And then it went to Jurassic Park 3, which was directed by Spielberg's friend Joe Johnston. I've never seen that one. Eh. Dr. Grant does come back, um, but John Williams did not come back. Uh, composer, The Matrix composer, Don Davis, scored it. He did a fantastic job. Now, this was the... First real instance of a Williams score and not having Williams. Now, Don Davis incorporated some of his, his, you know, original ideas, original themes, but he really did carry over the John Williams style, and he did it very well, in my opinion. And then we didn't get a Jurassic Park film for a while. Then we got Jurassic World, and it was directed by Colin um, Trevorrow, scored by Michael Giacchino. Now, we've talked about Giacchino before in our Star Trek episode and how some of his early works was Jurassic Park video game. So it was awesome that he got to come in to a Jurassic Park film and the score he did was amazing. He did a fantastic job with with that with Jurassic World. And then he came along with Jurassic World Fallen Kingdom. That movie was hard to like. I I the, we'll we'll talk about it eventually one day. I don't think I've seen those. You saw Fallen Kingdom. Did I? Yeah, we saw Jurassic World in the theaters, and we saw Fallen Kingdom here because I started crying. Is that the, the new one? Yeah, that's the newest one. Oh, yeah, I've seen those two. Yeah. I haven't seen the older ones. I hadn't seen. Yeah, you haven't. 
I don't think you've seen Lost World or uh-uh. Jurassic Park 3. I saw the first one. But you saw second. Jurassic World and Fallen Kingdom because I started crying when the Brachiosaurus died. Oh, yeah, and I made fun of you. Yes. <laughs> it's not Horrible. real, Chris. It's not real. It's still <laughs> hard to watch. The storyline was bad, and then that scene was just sad. And, and the score the score for that was very different. Now, I remember Giacchino went to the, to the new director. I cannot remember. Uh, J.A. Uh, I can't remember the guy's last name. But it was not the tr- Colin Trevorrow. It was somebody different. And uh, he went to the director and said, all right, you know, for Jurassic World, I did John Williams. How about for this one is, you know, what if Bernard Herrmann scored a Jurassic Park movie? And it was a very different score, but it was still very, very good. Now, there is a new one expected to come out. Um, now, this is, it's supposed to be sometime this year, I believe. But it, you know, at the time of this recording, it has not released yet. Jurassic World Dominion. Now, if you've watched Fallen Kingdom, spoilers, the dinosaurs have gotten loose and they're running loose on the entire world. They're out of the park and they're taking over everything. Jurassic Park is frightening in the dark. Calm down, Weird Al. You might get us a copyright and strike. All the dinosaurs. Stop, 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 stop. <laughs> I'm cutting you off right there. I will mute your mic. Someone shut the gate off. Stop. We might get a copyright strike for real. Stop. In the rain. Stop. <laughs> Stop it. All right. So the, the new film, Dr. Grant comes back uh, along with the, the um, Dr. Malcolm, which is Jeff Goldblum, and Ellie Sadler, which is Laura Dern, is joined by the new cast members, Chris Pratt, Bryce Dallas Howard, and um, I can't remember the Justice Smith. Now, it, it, the from what I'm hearing about this film, it's supposed to be the end of the Jurassic Park trilogy because Jurassic World started a new trilogy and this is supposed to be the end of it. So, so before we wrap, let's talk about one more thing related to the movie that we have not touched upon yet. Uh-oh. And that is Jeff Goldblum. <laughs> the mathematician. <laughs> chaotician. Chaotician. <laughs> so, what are your thoughts about Jeff Goldblum? I love Jeff in Goldblum. This movie. I love Jeff Goldblum in this movie. This movie, this movie really shined a new, uh, a light on Jeff Goldblum when it came out. You know, anything that I've ever seen Jeff Goldblum in, he's played this awkward character. Now, I, it's not a mainstream character. It's it's a quirky character. He normally, you know, plays quirky character scientists. You know, like in The Fly, for example, he was a scientist. No, no, that's what I was going to say. Now he was really. More well known for the fly yeah. and that film. Ugh. My my mom loved that movie. She that loved the fly. Disgusting. No, I mean it was a great movie, but it was nasty as I don't know what. She loved the fly. I remember any time it come on, she'd sit down and oh, watch the fly. Movie so nasty. Yeah, I didn't. I didn't make it all the way through. No, I, no. I mean, I got to the part where the guy guy got blown away with a shotgun. I'm like, oh. Ugh. But um, you know, he he played as a scientist in that movie. He played yeah. a scientist in this movie. Um, this is where Jeff Goldblum really just got to shine. I don't know if it was just Spielberg said, you know what? Just have fun. Just just go I for it. I think a lot of his lines were ad-libbed. Well, the, the must go faster was definitely ad-libbed. Well, must go faster is also, he also used that line in Independence Day. And we talked about that. Yeah. So um, he, he used both of those lines there. Uh, but... He was dating at the time, if I recall the trivia that I read, he was dating at the time. Um, Laura Dern. Yes. So the whole scene where he's flirting with her hand and everything else, it was probably. Real life. He <laughs> <laughs> was probably really flirting with her and that's probably when they started dating. I wonder if he was a method actor. <laughs> There's a lot of method actors out there. Yeah, there, there are. But yes, they were dating uh, for a while. And of course, then you have that famous Jeff Goldblum lying down <laughs> with his shirt ripped open. The male model pose that he has going on. You know, talking about science. <laughs> no, no, he wasn't talking about science. He was he was hurt. The Rexy hurt him. Yeah, but I could have swore he was talking something scientific. No, and they were talking <laughs> about something. Yeah. It was the gleam in his eye is what caught you. Kind of reminds me of, you know, the... Uh, now, he was in shape in this movie, though. You got to give him that. Well, he's really tall. I never realized how tall that man yeah, is. he is. He is, he is really tall. lanky and tall. And he was ripped. He was ripped for this movie. I don't know if it was just for this movie, but he was in shape. 
I gotta, so, give him, I gotta give him that. Jeff Goldblum, from what I understand, is going to be coming back in this new one. Now correct? he did make a cam. He made a cameo in Fallen Kingdom, but yes, he is coming back for this new one. Like I said, it was. It's going to be Goldblum, Sam Neill, and Laura Dern all coming back. I wonder how that's going to be awkward. Go, Jeff Goldblum, Laura Dern back on set together. Well, you know, it's this water under the bridge history. Yeah. Actors. Who knows? <laughs> so, guys, thank you so much for listening to this episode. We had a lot of fun, you know, coming up with this episode, uh, all based on a Seinfeld meme that we saw. And we're like, you know what? Let's do Jurassic Park. Let's be great. <laughs> So, of course, you can find us on social media. You can find us on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram. You can listen to us anywhere you listen to podcasts, Spotify, Apple. And if you listen to us on Apple, hey, leave us a review. We would love to hear from you guys. That'd be great. You can also send us an email. You got an idea for a movie? You got an idea for a score for us to listen to? Contact us on social media. You don't want to do that? Send us an email. Measuringthescore at gmail.com. We would love to hear from you. Seriously. We also have a buy me a coffee set up. We're trying to reach a goal of $250. We're kind of close to it. Um, it's not really going anywhere else, but we're just trying to get some new microphones because, I mean, these are great for what they are, but we need something better. We want to sound better. We want to sound better for you guys. So if you can help us out, if not, you know, just leave us a review. That's, that's, or share it around. Share it around that we have a buy me a coffee set up. And we take all of our, uh, all of our comments seriously. Uh, season two will be coming up here uh, within you know next year, and uh, I'll, we have the majority of our episodes that are suggestions from our fans. So uh, we we listen to all the suggestions, and you will eventually be covered uh, with one of our uh, episodes. So uh, and we do not discriminate. Short no. movie is fine. It could be a B film. We'll be happy to watch it and listen to the music. Uh, just let us know. Yeah, exactly. And like Leslie said, we have season two, you know, pretty much lined up. We have a lot of great guests that are going to be coming on. We have Sean from Cheap Seat. We have Josh from Twist My Arm Podcast. We have a dear friend of mine that I've known for almost 20 years now, uh, Gerald Godbout. He's a, an Emmy award-winning editor. He, he's going to be coming on and joining us. And we've, we've, we've got a lot of great stuff planned for you guys. But we also have some more bonus episodes coming out. The rest of this year, we have Planes, Trains, and Automobiles with Mark from Digital Dissection. We also have The Nightmare Before Christmas with the Nostalgia Test Podcast. That'd be great. I mean, come on, Danny Elfman, Nightmare Before Christmas. I cannot wait to cover that one. You forgot the big one. Which is? Halloween. Oh, yes, of course. <laughs> How can I forget Halloween? Sorry, we, we've already recorded that one. That's why I kind of trashed it off the list. <laughs> We got Sean and Sam from Cheap Seat Reviews. We did Halloween 1978 versus Halloween 2018. That's going to be a cool episode, guys. It'll be our Halloween episode uh, released in the month of October. I don't know exactly when in October, but it's going to be sometime in October. Follow us on social media and you'll be able to find out. Definitely. Um, so, yeah, I think that's about it. Mm-hmm. All right. So, as always, for Measuring the Score, I'm Chris. And I'm Leslie. Have a good one.